looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, alright? I need help! E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh my god! Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. You're naughty! This medicine is made for extreme cases of being keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increasing...
increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. Hi, this is Anthony DeLongis, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. It's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, some of that can be stretched out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The gentleman on the, on the line right now is based in L.A., but let's see, he's multi-talented in multiple careers. He's been an actor, stuntman, fight director, whipmaster, horseman, bladed weapon specialist, trainer, voice actor as well. Besides acting, he has been inducted into multiple Hall of Fames, including the Black Belt Hall of Fame. He has trained such stars as Michelle Pfeiffer, Jet Lee, Christian King, Bo Derek, Tom Cruise, Harrison Ford, who's still going strong at his age, which is unbelievable. But anyway, hey, yeah, 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 exactly. He's older than you, though, I would think. <coughs> Only a little. But there you go. Uh, the gentleman on the line now is Anthony DeLongas. Anthony, how are you doing, sir? Well, I'm doing great. You know, it's uh, especially all things considered, it, uh, things are a little tough on all of us. Um, you know, around the world, uh, yeah, you know, things are very tough on uh, pretty much everybody in the entertainment industry. Um, there was a little something. Somebody recently talked about you know, don't forget all the people, not just in front of the camera, but also behind the camera, and then all the people who, you know, perform in um, oh, from film and television to stage to you know, live, live arena shows. I've done all of those. Um, but then also the entire support team, you know, from the riders down through all of the crew, through all of the stage managers, through it has been um, a uh, very, very difficult and challenging time for all of us. And uh, I'm kind of hoping we'll come together and get the other side of this thing soon so we can get back to making magic together. Yeah, exactly. And I we're not going to uh, bring up totally what we were just talking about because it yeah. politics and all that shit. But hopefully the Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine will be out there soon as well, and we continue trying to help people and move forward, like you said. But uh, all all the rest of it, though, uh, doing very well. Um, we uh, we have our well, we have our paradise, uh, Rancho Andalo. Uh, when I was doing the Queen of Swords, uh, La Reina de Espada in uh, Spain in two thousand, um, we were we were uh, shooting on the old Sergio Leone sets in southern Spain in Almeria. And um, uh, the Indalo is, it's a first century cave painting. It's the symbol of Almeria and it's a genie holding a rainbow. And I looked at Mary and I said, uh, well, if we ever get our ranch, we're gonna call it Rancho Indalo. <laughs> That's what happened. Um, I finally had to move out of my uh, little, you know, apartment that was across from the Hollywood Bowl rather for 18 years. 
Uh, I used to do all my training and teaching and stuff in the park next door. It was, it was nice. But um, we were looking and we found a place out in Santa Clarita, top of a mountain, and the view to the west looked exactly like the dry riverbeds, the Ramblas there. And I went, okay, we found it. And uh, we've been here, this is our 18th going on our 19th year. And we love it. It's uh, We're three miles up a dirt road. This is where I have my school. This is where people come from all over the world to train with me. And uh, our quality of life is excellent. Well, check out it, the website. It's yes. on there. Uh, we will provide a link for that as well to the training and everything. But from the time you notice this picture on a project and you looked at your wife, Dr. Mary, your better half, to when you actually found the property, was it actively searching, looking for the place, or was it a happy accident that you said? Um, yes, yes. No, we were, uh, we, we, we've been looking for quite a while. Um, but you know, as having chosen a career in show business, uh, I started in 73 at the old globe theater in San Diego. I started in Shakespeare and, um, uh, you know, I've lived in some, as one does, uh, you know, some kind of crappy places. <laughs> My mother used to lament, you know, she would come and visit me when she was alive and it was like, you get the white glove test and she go, Oh, I didn't raise my son to live like, but I'm kind of going, mom, I can afford this rent, which means I can continue to pursue my dreams and not have to go work a job that, you know, um, takes away from, you know, that pursuit, if you will. Um, so the place in Hollywood was essentially rent controlled and, uh, you know, it was a duplex. And, you know, when I first met Mary, she moved in there with me and uh, it had its, it's you know, it, it was an old, uh, it was a series of Hollywood bungalows and this was a duplex. So it had an upstairs, downstairs and uh, the railing going up the stairs. I probably had 50 swords stuffed into it. You know, uh, all my, you know, friends used to say, if you know, when it all hits the fan, we want to come to your house. <laughs> I'm kind of going... <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we finally had to move because they were, uh, you know, kind of tearing them down and rebuilding them. We were the last to go. And so we were searching pretty hard for about six months. And uh, I wanted to find a place where I could have horses at home because uh, it had been a childhood dream that I didn't come to until my late 30s. And 30 years later, I've been on horseback in 11 countries on five continents, which uh, so dreams do come true. Sometimes they just take a little longer. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty great. So we have, you know, we have, uh, our horses here. I have, uh, I have a knife and tomahawk range. I'm in the knife throwers hall of fame. I have a, uh, an archery range. We have an onsite gun range. Um, and then of course, all the, uh, weapons, I teach bladed weapons from around the world, the, uh, European weapons and Filipino weapons and Japanese weapons. And so this is, this is our home. And this is also where, um, you know, people come to train with me when um, they want to learn some of the things that, you know, I have been, oh, oh, and of course, bullwhip, <laughs> uh, that I've been, skills I've been acquiring for the last almost 50 years and continue to, uh, I train, I train pretty much every day. I do a little something because it keeps me young, um, youngish, uh, you know, keeps all the parts working and I love sharing knowledge. Uh, um I have a mantra. It's if I'm not getting better, I'm just getting older. And there's only one of those things I can do anything about. So, um, I, uh, we're, we're very happy, you know, very happy together. We're very happy with our lifestyle. And, uh, I, we look forward to when we can 
start uh, sharing it with people again because people will we had the australian stunt academy would come in um oh golly they came in every year for 10 years to uh we'd have we'd have a dozen australians here for two weeks <laughs> but, which i'm sure oh, made things interesting it was it was he helped me work on my australian accent and i'll tell you that but uh it, usually usually we have smaller groups um you know i specialize in one-on-one -on -one training or um training let me get that what is hanging in the frame there? Um, in one-on-one -on -one or very small groups, um, we prefer it that way because uh, I can really, I can really. Basically, we tailor something to whatever somebody wants to learn. You know, we get so we get professionals. Ah, we get professionals, and then also we get uh, enthusiastic amateurs, uh, and then some people. Um, I mean, Mary is an extraordinary chef, and so you know, people come in and train to be their favorite action hero. <laughs> <laughs> and a good and get a good meal uh oh, right there. well it's extraordinary and then of course uh, at the end of a day we'll sit out on the back porch and overlooking the uh you know the throwing and archery area and then down to the horses and usually have an adult beverage and i will start telling stories and uh you know i've got a lot of stories yeah, and that's what you were telling me when we were on the phone last week setting us up which is going to be cool to tell some of them but before we get into some of the stories, answer this for me if you can, as far as training and stuff is concerned. Do you still sell the DVDs, uh, teaching people things like sword play and bull whips? And I do. Um, I have, um, uh, it's essentially my uh, foundation. Uh, it's it's called Rafer for, for the Stage and Screen. Um, and it's basically... Um, what I consider my beginning to intermediate uh, for European weapons. And then we move into uh, uh, broadsword for the stage and screen, which uh, then expands into two-handed weapons and multiple angles, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm in the business of imparting knowledge, as much knowledge as I can, uh, usually with no time. Uh, so one of the reasons for my own study is um, one lifetime isn't enough to learn everything about any art, but um, the more arts you study, the more you discover there are foundational principles and concepts that make something combatively viable. Uh, so I have a parallel focus. One is um, learning knowledge as a martial artist on what is um, combatively effective and efficient. Uh, and the other is how do I turn that knowledge into a story that's entertaining for my audience when I do choreography. To me, if choreography doesn't drive story and articulate character, it's kind of a disservice to the project. Um, so, but I've got, um, having so many different areas of knowledge from uh, the European, you know, um, Oh, saber and broadsword and rapier and dagger and, um, you know, quarterstaff, et cetera. And then into Filipina, I, I, my, my fencing master was Ralph Faulkner, who was um, two-time Olympian. He was the sword master of the stars. He did the court jester and all the way back to the original prisoner of Zenda. So that was my first great teacher. And then I trained with Dan Inosanto for over a decade. And that gave me a taste of the Filipino martial arts, which, um, uh, has been enormously useful and he, another very generous teacher, uh, an incredibly knowledgeable man and a wonderful person. Uh, right now I'm studying under um, Kaiso Toshishiro Obata, 
uh, in Shinkendo and my sensei, which is Sensei Matthew Lynch, one of his senior instructors. So I've got this rather broad palette from which to choose. And it also allows me to make essentially a weapon of opportunity out of almost anything so that uh, I can either be as historically accurate as possible while telling a story uh, with a variety of different weapons. But those same structures allow me to pick up anything, um, be it rigid or flexible, be it sharp or percussive. And um, so I, I'm, I'm really almost never at a loss for uh, being able to tell a good story with characters in conflict. And I really like that. Well, speaking of which, you know, with the different disciplines and such, and I know a couple of different disciplines, whether it be grappling, amateur wrestling, some uh, Taekwondo, you know, a couple of different broad areas. But do you notice, obviously, you'd be more experienced than I would be as far as the disciplines and such. But do, <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't, I didn't go there, but, uh, <laughs> funny yes. though. but, uh, with the different disciplines, do you find it confusing? Because obviously each discipline has its own philosophy and teaching. Like when you're trying to put something together for a particular project. Well, um, hmm. yeah, you've raised a couple of questions. Um, uh, no, I actually find, um, again, um, having studied a lot of different arts from a lot of different places, it's quite amazing um, things that I initially learned um, in Filipino Kali. I saw a variation on the technique in, you know, 14th century German longsword. Um, I see elements in um, Japanese two-sword, uh, Nitoken, um, and I'm kind of going, I know that technique. It's, there's weapon-specific adjustments that maximize the effectiveness of each tool and that reference a certain culture, but what makes it combatively viable is there's a universality to it. Um, it's a bit of an oversimplification, but um, for example, I tell people, um, most it's, it's, it's easy to get lost in the minutiae, you know, and when you come on a set, um, you know, uh, well, if I'm working for somebody else, they will have their own vocabulary based on whatever it is they've studied. But I can look at what they want and go, okay, I understand. I understand what you want and what you need, and I can give you that. Uh, I don't care what you call it. Um, for example, there are eight angles of attack with every bladed, um, rigid, and flexible weapon. The reason I created my own uh, unique DeLongis rolling loop system of whip is because to me, it's a flexible sword. So there's eight angles of attack. There's verticals, there's forehand and backhand diagonals and forehand and backhand horizontals and rising diagonals and rising verticals. So you could say there's 360 degree angles of attack, but for simplicity, let's say there's eight, okay? Mm -hmm. You can cut on these lines and you can reverse on these lines and uh, you can call it fendante montante or you can call it quesa kiriage. Uh, you can call it, it doesn't matter what you call it, you're working one of those eight lines. You can thrust on those lines. You can cut on those lines. Certain weapons like a, a rapier has, has, is two-edged. So you can come and cut with the, um, it's falsamanco, which means the, the back edge or the false edge. Um, sabers have, um, 
European sabers are very often, you know, you have the true edge and then the top third is often sharpened, which gives you a back edge and people forget about that. And it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting element to add both story-wise and visually and, uh, and also effectively. A lot of people say, oh, you can't thrust with a saber. <laughs> and I go, well, maybe you can't, but uh, it's enormously effective, but very few people see it. Most choreography with swords, I refer to it as pirate bash fest. Bang, 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 yar, har, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, but um, your hero choreography, the one that, you know, the final confrontation between good and evil at the end or whatever should be, uh, for my mind, um, to me, swordplay is surgery, not butchery. You know, if I want, uh, if I want that, that's when you use a bat or a piece of pipe or, you know, some rebar or these are percussion weapons and they're a lot more, um, um, they're cruder, if you will. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anybody who has actually learned to utilize a sword has um, more refinement and more elements from which to draw. In, in keeping with that, I tell there's eight angles of attack. There's also eight angles of footwork. There's forward and back, which is linear, which is most European fencing. Although uh, when you get into, you know, um, things outside of it's like the difference between Japanese sword play Shinkendo if you will and um, uh, I know um, the sport version of it Kendo 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 is very linear okay um, Japanese sword play is, has multiple angles um, European competitive uh, you know uh, Olympic Olympic competition style swords foil epee saber is very linear because you're on a piste, okay? It's it's the sport. Um, the actual, when you're actually utilizing these weapons, you're working for multiple angles of linear, forward and back, lateral, side to side, descending diagonals where I build a wall and get behind it, and ascending diagonals where I redirect what's coming at you and I'm entering at the same time. Eight angles plus circle. That's all there is. Every weapon system and every empty-handed system in the world utilizes these elements. Uh, they just, you know, um, they utilize them slightly differently. But in other words, what I'm trying to give people is a roadmap. Here is an overview. Here is, you know, these, these are the building blocks we're going to use, but this is going to be our foundation. And then, you know, if I'm teaching you Japanese swordplay or I'm teaching you European or we're doing something... You know, uh, I'll I'll reference where this comes from, but it doesn't really much matter. It's like it, it gives you choices. It gives you options. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Simplicity and the other half of your question to answer. Um, the longer I study, the more I go. The road to mastery lies in simplicity. It's really nice when you can do jumping triple spin kicks. Um, that that that's a finite resource, by the way, and it's not always appropriate. Um, the odd. The, the older someone gets, the less they waste themselves. You know, it, it's, uh, <laughs> I can't do that anymore, but there's really no need for me to do that anymore. You know, uh, work smarter, not harder. A lot, a lot like that. And also in, in, with that along the way, let your tool do the work. You know, the tool, whatever it happens to be is an extension of you. You know, I, which Sorry, since we're talking philosophical, I'll give you one more quick thing. Uh, okay. Whatever anybody picks up, I says, this is an inanimate object. This sword has no life whatsoever until you pick it up. This whip 
you know, um, is, a, is a fancy piece of rope until you pick it up. Now it becomes an extension of your will and your skill. And with something, and each tool offers you opportunities and vulnerabilities. And that's what makes for interesting story- storytelling. And, you know, it's funny because I've had people ask me, and I've a little bit learned about it, you know, just basic, very, very basic, not real extensive. And I would think it'd be under that same prem, those same premises, knife fighting, where I I always tell anybody when they're starting to learn, not only that, but everything in general, what we're talking about, watch somebody's hands is key. Cause you can get somebody going, cause we're taping us on film and you can see what I'm doing. Yeah. You can see people waving around. Most likely they don't have a clue what they're doing, but watch you could, you know, when somebody knows what they're doing based on their hand movements and how they're holding said weapon. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, Knife fighting is terrifying because it's, it's infighting with, with a blade and uh, most knife fighters won't let you see the blade. Yeah. It'll it'll come from out of nowhere. You're not doing, you know, the sharks and the jets and nowhere. Um, Or like I said, you're going, Oh, let me, you know, now you're, Someone who knows what they're doing is not going to let you. Well, and of course, as long as you know, uh, you, well, anyway, it, not, yeah, knife fighting is um, is very, very scary. And if you ever have a, an, a, an option not to do it, then don't. Yes. Yeah. It's something you, um, you really have to train at. And if you have to think about it, it's already too late. <laughs> your body, you have to teach your body, <coughs> excuse me, to respond um, almost automatically. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, precisely automatically. Um, and one of the things I like about weapons is, uh, it's another one of the things I tell people, look, you have a weapon. You know, your hand's behind your weapon, your elbow's behind your hand, your body's behind your elbow. Don't put your weapon behind you. That's, you know, that's stupid. the whole reason is it's like, you want me? You got to come through this. Exactly. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting as we're talking weapons training and all that stuff. And we'll get into the <gasps> entertainment side of things, too. This was cool. And I didn't realize it at the time. But when I bit, went back and watched prepping to, for this conversation, you were on one of my favorite shows at the time for the history channel extreme marksman Mm -hmm. and because i'm a big my background's history as far as like college education and stuff like that but and i'm always watching that show i'm like oh wait i remember anthony was on you know going back and watching clips and such Mm -hmm. what was that process for you working with them what how much did they want you to show them and uh, Luke, Luke Ellis is a wonderful man. He has a, he has a terrific company. Uh, he works very hard, uh, workaholic productions. That's, um, and, uh, it was kind of funny because uh, I'd been recommended to them and, uh, you know, they came out and they, they went, uh, <clears throat> well, we're not sure if the whip is really, you know, um, you know, a, an accurate weapon, uh, or, you know, if it's suitable for our show. And I said, well, yeah, um, the way most people use it, you're right. It's not. But I said, don't move. And then I basically kind of wove a web of accuracy around him <laughs> about this far away. Uh, I'm 10 feet away, but the whip is like right here. 
and it wasn't uh, it wasn't just showing off. You know, it, it, it's 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 kind of funny because uh, sometimes I'll walk on uh, I'll, I'll walk on sets and uh, the director will have some idea, you know, which is like oh lord, and you know I'll kind of go, well we could do that, but. Um, it's a it's a low percentage shot, but you know you just gave me a great idea. That's a great idea. You just here, wait, here, stay, stand there for a minute, and then I'll do something, you know, and I'll put the whip like around and hold your hand out, and I'll have to whip around them, or you know, I'm I'm going to wrap you on the diagonal, or I'm going to come up around your neck, and I'm kind of going, this could go horribly wrong. It's a good thing I practice, <laughs> but I will, you know, show, like there was one where um, it was called Dead Men. And um, he said, well, can you take and wrap the bull up around a bottle and pull it back into your hand? And I said, yeah, I can, but it's a very low percentage shot. And there's a lot of things involved that I won't bother to go into. But I said, what I could do is if he was drinking, I could shatter the bottle out of his hand. And this is a Western. So um, it's easy to take a target that's on one side or the other of somebody. But if somebody's going to draw a gun, they're pointing themselves at you and the gun's coming straight up. So I said, um, I will shatter the bottle out of his hand, which will piss him off. He'll go to draw. As he's drawing, I will snap him from below, which will knock his hand up. And then in a continuation, I'll come around and then I'll wrap it. And I said, and I can disarm. He said, well, I want you to pull the gun down so he shoots himself in the foot. And so, okay, I can do that too. But we basically shot it practically. Um, yeah, the other thing you got to watch out for is, you know, they want to shoot it, you know, don't shoot this sideways. You know, don't shoot this in close up because I may as well be standing two feet away from you and just, you know, the the power of the shot is over his shoulder at me and over my shoulder at him. So that you see it's really happening. And, and we did. <laughs> the only thing was we were on this set that um, had pillars and saloon tables, you know, all around, had a low ceiling, and it, um, they also were burning um, live kerosene lamps, you know, it's like a, it was a really nifty old, you know, like an old Western bar, Western bar, a saloon, you know, so I just said, I need that table to move. I can, I did the same thing with Michelle. She said, I, I need him on set whenever I'm working. I said, uh, if guys, if you could move that light six inches, just give me a, a you know a fourteen inch lane that Miguel, Michelle can work on, so she can focus on her performance and not have to worry about you know getting tangled and stuff. So anyway, we shot it practically, and and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, did I answer the question before yeah, I? Yeah, but a but you bring up a good point, and was actually in my notes when you get something whether you're being a stunt coordinator or you're acting as well, or, you know, whatever the project calls for, how, what do you look for as far as practical versus, Oh, they can do that CGI, you know, all the fancy shit they got now. Um, there are times when CGI is a wonderful tool uh, in gladiator. when you're, you know, recreating the Coliseum, that's fantastic. You know, and, the 300 when you're recreating, you know, all the ships and the storm and the things of that, that's great. Um, I dislike CGI. I mean, unless, unless we're in outer space or something, you know, the, I don't, 
CGI, uh, you know, visual effects um, to me should be a condiment, not the entree. And as, as a performer, um, I always like to me action that action and stunts are different. Stunts are, you know, the highly skilled, very dangerous things like um, setting yourself on fire and jumping off a building or, you know, um, having a car, you know, go up and fly through the air and come crashing down and roll. Um, and that's there. There are extraordinarily talented and very, very smart people, you know, who create that action, which is very exciting. There's no reason for the actor to be a part of that. Well, what yeah. about your wheelhouse in terms of weapons and fighting and yeah. such? Fights, to me, are the purview of the actor, of the performer. It's an opportunity to give your character credibility that's priceless. Um, if you have to keep subbing in a stunt double, um, it's a little bit less effective. Um, for example, um, the first... Uh, oh, what's his name? Um Matt Damon, um, you know, his series about the guy under, you know, who's, oh, what's, what's, what's the movie I'm trying to think of? Um, he's the spy, you know. Oh, uh, the uh, born, born supremacy. Born, born, yeah. yeah. Um, whichever the first one was. Um, anyway, so there's some very good fight stuff. I believe Jeff Amata did, did, did a lot of it. And, um, uh, you see somebody pick up a weapon of opportunity, you know, like a pen or a thing they're in a kitchen or, you know, or um, actually uh, Atomic Blonde is terrific. Um, and there, there's some very, very good uh, use of the stunt double, which I believe was my money Ganderton. Um, uh, obviously, you know, uh, a Charlize didn't go jumping out of the window, you know, uh, with the, um, you know, the, the rope or the you know electrical cord or whatever the hell it was she was on that was monique but um charlie's did a lot of the fights uh because they took the time the trainer and she's very physical you know she's a former dancer and um and she wanted to and i know when when i have the opportunity um i obviously want to do as much of this as i can when I'm training somebody else, you know, or when, you know, when I'm in there helping the coordinator and helping the director, like when we did Secondhand Lions, um, little film I'm very proud of. I did all the flashback sword action. And um, um, I wanted the audience to see these characters, you know, actually doing this. Um, uh, Christian Kane, Christian Kane, who played the young Robert Duvall character, and he's he's terrific. He was a we worked again on Leverage, where I was the butcher of Kiev, and I came in and we choreographed something in about forty five minutes because he's a very talented fellow. But um, you get you get to see uh, it's it's very satisfying because you know when when two people come together in conflict, it is you're doing physical dialogue. To me, there's verbal dialogue and there's physical dialogue. And when you combine the two, that's when it's really, really effective. But what I'm looking to do is tell a story with action. And it is a conversation. You know, it's a very heightened, you know, dramatic um, conversation and confrontation. And then, you know, the movements that you choose um, are like dialogue that tell the story. So it's a tremendous opportunity because physical is a visceral realm. Um, you get people aren't just sitting back there looking and, you know, having that distance, you can pull them in 
to the jeopardy that your character is experiencing. And it can be an, a, emotionally satisfying, but it's also when you see the performer actually doing something, they get a credibility that you can't get by other people saying that they're great. You look at it and you go, oh my God, that's amazing. You know, so that's that's the power of good action. And to me, um, you know, big, big, big action sequences like Bond sequences or things like that. Um, there are many, many people coming together to create a whole story. Um, when you get to the actual fight aspects, as much as possible, it should be the performers. Well, speaking of physical dialects, and you brought this up when we were <laughs> chit-chatting before we started this officially, uh, there's a famous scene you did with Jet Li. And obviously that would be, I would assume, because I've heard parts of the story before, uh, more of a physical dialect since you guys don't speak the same language. Where You, you know what I mean? Where, okay, this is what we're trying to get across with this particular scene. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I have a uh, um, Mike Leader who had brought me in. Um, he uh, also wrote for a publication called Impact Magazine. And uh, afterwards, he did. It was like a three-issue spread <laughs> on my career up to that point. You know, um, you know, starting with oh, <clears throat> I uh, I did Cyrano de Bergerac at the Amundsen with um, um, oh shoot. Uh, his, his name just flew out of my head. Um, it was in 1974. It got me my equity card. Uh, Richard Chamberlain. Uh, and Richard did a terrific job. So, and uh, I was very proud of the rapier and dagger stuff I did. And, and in Cyrano, it's the duel. It's the duel of the hundred. If this, this opens the play, the duel in rhyme. Um, if this doesn't work, the rest of the play really doesn't work because you know, his wit is as sharp as his sword. If, you know, you want to see that. So anyway, it was, it was, it was very swashbuckly and uh, you know, we, we, we did a really good, we had a really good time with it. So that's kind of where I started it about in, in 74 and I've been doing it ever since. So, um, but when I came, they, you know, they flew me in and Jet speaks English. She's Jet's very smart, wonderfully capable. You know, I mean, he's martial arts royalty. Um, the two of us probably between us had 75 years worth of experience. Um, they were running a little behind when I came in and my, you know, my one regret of what I started to say was Mike wrote this thing about my whole career as, you know, as both an action performer and as, as a choreographer. But I, I have one chapter that's all on my adventures in Shanghai with, you know, Yen Wuping and, uh, and Jeff and, um, it's one, of my, it's one of my favorites. He's certainly probably, um, I got to dance with Fred Astaire, <laughs> you know, uh, he's, uh, he, he's, he's every bit as talented as, as he looks in the movies because he is. And the funny thing was, um, you know, I came on set and, uh, I, I was hoping to be able to work with the team, but they were running about a week behind. So basically I didn't see them until I walked on the stage, we shook hands and they team immediately started throwing moves together. And um, they, as soon as, you know, Jet and um, Wu Ping were happy, Jet and I would get up, we'd walk it maybe twice, and then we'd shoot it at speed. And we never shot, I think the first day, the first sequence we did three times. After that, it was usually one or two. And then we would move on and do it all over again. My point being, neither one of us knew the choreography. Um, so what happened was um, I would move, he'd adjust. 
he would move, I'd adjust. And it just became, it was enormously organic because it was two people who had decades of training responding to each other. Um, I came to realize very quickly, they were choreographing my weapon. Uh, initially, they gave me pokey, pokey, pokey. Mm-hmm. And I went, I, I won't do that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. But I gave them three thrusts. But it became a lunge, a recover and pass forward, and then a redoublement of the lunge. So it became three point attacks, but I kept the um, integrity of my character and his style, if you will. So you're definitely seeing a Chinese martial artist swordsman and a European martial artist swordsman coming together, which is why I think it's so effective. I'm very proud of the work we did together. But what was, um, I realized, oh, you were choreographing my weapon as if it's a Chinese weapon. It's not, it's a European weapon. So I had to, you know, initially tread and after like, um, the first phrase I went, okay, they're having me attack quadrants. You know, this isn't, this isn't necessarily logical to me, but I'm in their house, you know, and they're, they're used to working a certain way. It's very staccato and they've worked together for decades. So, you know, (laughs) and they're not speaking English, so they're not explaining to me. And I'm going, okay, you want me to attack quadrants so that jet can do something he's literally done thousands of times before. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. My job is to make him look good, if you will. But that comes back to the experience that you said you have here. But what was very cool was, uh, so I went, would you mind? I'll give you, I'll attack where you want me to attack. Do you mind if I get where this way instead of this way? Essentially, because it's going to be a more logical flow for my character. And apparently one of the team said, uh, who's choreographing this? Us or the Guaylo? And Wu Ping said, this Guaylo knows what he's doing. And after that, we, we, it was gold. We just, you know, we, 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 we would make something up. We would walk a couple of times. We'd shoot it at speed, one or two takes. You know, we'd do a take and Wu Ping would go, uh, and he'd do a little tweak there. We'd shoot it again. Then we'd move on. We'd do it all over again. So like I said, neither one of us knew the choreography, but it was some of my, the best work I've done and one of my favorite experiences because my partner was so skilled and I certainly had to bring my A game to play with Jeff. And uh, it was just also the fact that, you know, he said to me, he says uh, one of the reasons why he, he brought me back a second day for an opening sequence, which is the big traveling shot at the beginning. He says, you know, we, we, we wanted you because you have so much experience and, you know, uh, and ability. And I just said, well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, you know, there's two main projects that obviously most of our fan base would be familiar with. And some would say they are bad movies, but they're those bad movies that people love to watch. And that being that being Roadhouse and Masters of the Universe. But I want to jump into Roadhouse first because Patrick Swayze, who everybody loves for obvious reasons for what he did. Mm-hmm. How was it working with him as a he was a another one who was a dancer and he trained with a another uh, action star, Benny Kick, Kickboxer? What's his well, name? Benny, you know, Benny's the real deal. Benny yeah, is, exactly. He's as real as real gets. He's, yeah, uh, you know, his uh, his record in the ring and, you know, his abilities as, uh, you know, as a fighter 
um, or extraordinary, but he was a, he was an excellent teacher. And I have to, uh, um, for Patrick, he, uh, he, he trained Patrick like a dancer. He trained him to music mm -hmm. and, uh, oh, that was one of my favorite things about, uh, uh, being on set, um, because Jeff Healy would play all the time oh, uh, when you, when you're on one of my set. favorite artists. Mm -hmm. And then when you're, um, when you're on set, there's a lot of, you know, wait, 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 while they do stuff. Oh, nice. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I, I could say I got to see him in person, too. Yeah. But, um, he uh, and he would just sit and play during all the, you know, the, the bar scenes and stuff. And it's like, go ahead, take your time. I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sit and listen to this yeah. guy. Just. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, you, you guys <laughs> do all the time you need to tweak the lights. But yeah. Um, Anyway, he, he trained Patrick, uh, you know, to music, and, and Patrick Patrick did a terrific job. Um, he and I got along great. We uh, we worked very well together. Um, first sequence we shot was um, uh, it was the right boot sequence, and then drag me outside, and you know, and do all that. And, um, chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Uh, it was funny because he had just shot the Marshall Teague sequence where, you know, he rips his throat. Oh, Long River? Each other, yeah. And this funny little story with this, because um, Marshall and Patrick got along really well. Marshall is also the real deal. Marshall is... Uh, yes. Uh, well, he's... Um, I believe he was technical advisor on Lethal Weapon. You know, he told me. Uh, he also, um, you know, he's he's with the teams and stuff. He's um, thank you for your service, Marshall. Uh, and very nice fellow. He came up and helped me build my house. So, uh, yeah, I love Marshall. Yeah, he's he, doing uh, a lot of directing and stuff now as well. Yeah, and he um, he's very 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 talented and just he has a lot of heart. Um, it's he's a good man. The um, <laughs> Apparently, somebody had whispered in Patrick's ear that you know Marshall thinks you're a pussy, you know, so you should you, you should really kick him. So they, <laughs> they uh, when they shot that scene, they were they 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 were putting a little something on the you know all those kicks to the legs and stuff like that, and uh, you know so they they were kind of hobbling around for a couple of days after that, both of them, and uh, apparently it wasn't true. I, I have no idea how that story got circulated. Stirring a pot, kind of somebody, yeah, you know. So uh, yeah, I, I won't even uh, you know surmise how it might have started. But anyway, so they were limping around a little bit. So then we get to our thing. We're out, you know, throwing together the fight in the dirt outside, and uh, you know, and Patrick's Patrick's hitting me, which is fun. I said, Patrick, I don't mind contact. I like a little contact, especially to the body, you know, because it gives me something to react to. But please stop hitting me. But he would hit me under the manubrium. And then kind of come up under this. 
you know, and it was just like, um, don't hit me there. <laughs> hit me just yeah. a little lower or, you know, uh, and that, and he went, Oh, Oh, and after we were done, he says, I love working with you. It's like dancing. And I said, uh-huh. <laughs> Where basically the two of us have our part of the story to tell. You know, there's yeah. a motivation and there's a reaction, which brings us back to the art of um, choreographing a fight scene. I tell people the simplest move, a punch, has three, you know, has you have the moment before, you have the action, the reaction, and the moment after. All of those are storytelling opportunities. Most people blow through them. And you're kind of going, don't, you have opportunities here, you know? So, but yeah, we, we, we had a very good time. I, I can't fight. I actually have another fight sequence with Patrick that you don't see in the movie. Um, Cause uh, Ben Gazar is there and they wanted me to do a big ax kick and really tight pants uh, to a mug of beer. That's right next to Ben Gazara. And then while Sam Shepard is fighting Marshall Teague with the pool cue, I'm fighting Patrick again. Um, but that didn't make the cut. But I guess they figured there were enough times that Patrick beat me up. Now, obviously, speaking of action, reaction, all that fun stuff, there is somebody in the film who I've always enjoyed because of his other career being Terry Funk. Uh-huh. And, you know, and say what you will about professional wrestling and all that stuff. But there is storytelling to it as well. Of course. But the thing with Terry, I always heard, and don't maybe you can confirm this. Post-film, when they had like a wrap-up party or whatever, mm-hmm. that Terry, by ch- and it totally sounds like Terry. Because I, I got to deal with him years ago and know people who know him. And so it totally would sound like him that during the rap party, he may have uh, provided a little too much entertainment. Does that sound familiar? No. um, As far as singing? I don't recall anything untoward. um, And I I like, I liked working with Terry um, a lot. He was, uh, but he's a very dynamic personality. That's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) <laughs> what a story was that during the party that he may have been doing some singing and even then in 89 90 it was like crossing certain lines but it was terry being terry so um nothing nothing comes to mind so either i was somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> in the party or um no, I, uh, I I have I have no memory of that. Of course, it was the eighties. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, beans. I heard the story on several occasions. One in court coming from Terry, mm. and we know oh, how his personality is. You're gonna go it, to the source. Person I'd ever seen. Uh, <laughs> he had cowboy boots with laces. Yeah, that's kind of. Well, there's a bold fashion statement there. Yeah. yeah. Well, he is a Texas boy, but he, it's like, it was one when, when I heard him tell the story, it was like, you know, at a, having a couple of adult beverages, dude, you're full of shit. That didn't really happen. You know what I mean? Like when it sounded like it, but I heard it from other people going, no, he, that was Terry. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember. And I guess when you're not recording, you could be more specific. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out and let you know, but, uh, but a, lot, a lot of good memories from that film. A lot of good yes. people. The other film, as I mentioned, 
Masters of the Universe, and there was such a positive reaction when I brought up on social media that going to be talking to you, and we ended up talking to Tila yesterday, which mm-hmm. again she sends her regards, and I told her because you had, yeah, yeah, I told her you had mentioned, oh, hey, say hello, all that fun stuff. Excellent. Yeah, which glad she's doing well with the project she's working on now. But what led you to be cast for that role of Blade? I don't really much remember other than I got an opportunity to uh, meet the director and, uh, you know, Gary Goddard. And yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's funny because, uh, I don't know, it was about five or six years ago, uh, were, there was a screening at the Egyptian and it was the first time I'd seen the picture in quite some time. Um, and, uh, you know, so and and she was there. And, you know, at the end, we had kind of a Q&A. We, you know, we had chairs up on the uh, on, on the set and stuff. And she talked about how many times she had come back to audition for Gary, you know, then that he was having her do things and leap over the desk. And, you know, and, you know, it's like because she's Tila and, you know, it's it's a, it's an action character. And I guess she's, you know, a big part of the um, uh, you know, the world of He-Man and Eternia and everything. Um so I guess her uh, her audition process was quite extensive and repetitive. I I don't have a lot of memory of mine other than going in to meet Gary and then you know uh, I don't think I I don't recall reading any sides although I may have um, but I'm sure I told him about um, you know I do have these additional abilities that I think are. Um, very advantageous to a character such as Blade. You know, he's he's a double swordsman. He's a, you know, this and that. He's going to be an antagonist for He-Man. And uh, all I knew was, um, he's kind of saying, uh, well, you you might have to shave your head. And, <clears throat> you know, went to, to the makeup trailer and uh, V. Neal was a um, um, very famous makeup artist. I'd, wor- I'd worked with her on the sword and the sorcerer too. And um, she said, well, I can either do a bald cap and at that point in time, ball caps weren't very good. And they, um, you know, I, and I knew I was going to have a lot of um, activity. And so she said, you know, basically we can do it. We can try to do a bald cap, but it's going to be difficult. And you'll be a lot of time in the makeup chair and this and that, or you can shave your head, you know? And I went, I'll shave my head. So basically I, I would have about 20 minutes in the makeup chair, you know, putting in the eye scar and, the other things and i knew i was going to have an eye patch and i you know told the guys at boss you know boss films who was doing the props and stuff i said um i'm going to be fighting you know dolph lundgren and the sword he has i re- i referred to affectionately as buick slayer because it's enormous and mm-hmm. it's not terribly well balanced you know and it it bespeaks a lot for um um dolph's athleticism but also, you know, I, I had given him some, you know, here is how best to handle, you know, a sword like this. And, um, but he manipulated it really, really well. But uh, I just said, you know, if you take away this eye, I have no depth perception, you know. So what I want you to do is drill tiny little pinholes, which will also help me, you know, keep the sweat from pouring in my eyes. But it, it gave, so I had pinholes, which was enough to give me depth perception. So you know, when we had, when we had our action sequences, I could do that. Well, speaking of which. Uh, oh, but the other thing was uh, the, the wardrobe. They had me in surgical rubber 
and initially they had me in surgical rubber, you know, top to bottom, plus boots, plus uh, chain mail. And the chain mail was 10 six foot lengths of pipe cut into quarter inch pieces. Uh, so I was running around in 50 pounds of pipe. They, they never would tell me how much it weighed. And then over that, I had, <laughs> you know, shoulder pads with, you know, with this first time I got, had the wardrobe fitting and I saw those as, well, I won't be doing any shoulder rolls in this, will I? You know, because I had spikes on the side. Um, and I mean, it was a really cool costume. I got, I got them to get rid of the sleeves. But um, it was, I, the costume assistant actually wrote me a, a letter and she said, I just feel the need to, you know, I've never, you know, had a designed a costume that was this user unfriendly. And I want you to be careful in this and that and, you know, and hydration. And I'm kind of going, well, this is very sweet. But I would literally, uh, at the end of a day, um, when I took my boots off, I would pour out about a pint of perspiration because I was essentially wearing a wetsuit, you know, with 50 pounds of pipe <laughs> I was carrying around. So it was, it was a tough wardrobe. And I, I kept going, thank God I took ballet because I would kind of, before I do things, kind of sit over there and do sort of a little, you know, modified, uh, you know, ballet bar, which, which helped. Yeah, Save exactly. Well, speaking of which, two things uh, with this movie that I found interesting. And it goes back to uh, special effects, too. First, the special effect part is the whip that you did. How did they set that up? Because obviously that was an electronic a la Star Wars kind of thing when you're whipping them in a castle. Well, when I found out that uh, I was going to do this plasma whip, um, uh, and they, we're going to give you this handle, and then you'll do some thingies. And I said... Um, well, as it happens, I actually do whip. And this this was early in my development of, you know, my unique rolling loop system. Um, but I said, please film me. So then you can take it to the animators and they can, you know, see how a whip actually works. Um, so there will be there will be some balance between the fantasy, you know, visual effect and the way a whip actually works. And then I would also be able to do a more um, uh, accurate, you know, body, well, let's call it a dance, but essentially I use my body, you know, with what I do, my finesse is in my hand and it's the same surgery I do and accuracy that I do with a sword. Um, my power is generated by my body. Most people generate their power in their arm and shoulder. Exactly. Which means they make a big noise, but they're not necessarily that accurate. Um, so, uh, I'm, uh, I'm you, when we actually did it, I, uh, I have the handle, but the animators looked at the footage that I had given them showing them, okay, here's, you know, compound figures and here's, you know, a, you know again, the eight angles that the whip can come from. So I thought it was a real, a pretty effective collaboration that even though it was animated, um, it still looks like I'm using a whip. Right on. Uh, second part of what I was going to mention there was uh, during that se- towards the end there, that final battle sequence, you were, and I don't know how many people bring this up, you're hit, roll off screen. Do you think your character ended up dying by falling in one of those pits? No, I think he absolutely survived, and uh, I keep hoping that he's going to come back. 
there is some talk they're going to make another movie and yeah. i've had fans say well you'd make a great man at arms maybe it's the mustache and i'm saying i, I would i would love to play man at arms uh, and as it happens i've got a lot of skills and knowledge but uh no i always i always figured that uh i said he didn't die he just got hit and disappeared so you know uh you know evil lynn took off with karg and i wouldn't be at all surprised that uh you know, Blade is uh, on top of some mountain somewhere, you know, uh, undercover as a uh, <laughs> as a sword teacher. Exactly. And was grabbing my old because I was fortunate enough to see uh, yeah. Meg Foster years ago. So, you know, I hope she's well, Meg terrific. I love Meg. Yeah, yeah. she's one of the, those eyes with her. It's just oh, uh, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't care where you sit. When you look at her in the face and see those eyes big blue eyes you got me hooked so obviously since you answered the question that way obviously rumor was that this was actually going to be a trilogy but obviously everybody knows the story of what happened with canon going out of business and well the crazy thing was i didn't know any of this we we actually had a um uh what should we say a, a, a convention a fan convention uh and a couple of years ago I, well you don't need me to look it up um, power con it, right yes but it was in uh, power con yes and uh you know the uh the organizers did a terrific job and um uh they got gary to come and meg came and uh it was really quite delightful because uh after you know after we had done our you know convention business for the day um i also did a, a demonstration of weapons and stuff because i like to do that mary comes in and i says look i'll i'll sit at a table and sign things and i'm happy to do that and i love interacting with the fans but i have no interest in sitting at a table all day with a pile of photos you know i'll come but let me do something you know and uh you know so they they let me put on a little you know demonstration of this is how i choreograph for film or you know here's you know here here's a whole bunch of different weapons you know here's how you know each one um would be utilized differently to tell a different story and we would actually create and say okay you guys be the director and i'm gonna uh all right who's the good guy who's the bad guy what's the weapons all right i do this move there are two counters a or b and then we do that and basically we put together you know and we do we basically um create a fight sequence, you know, for the audience. I love doing that. Um, but we, uh, anyway, at the end of, we'd done some um, work to get, we'd done our uh, business for the day and um, we met afterwards and, uh, you know, the uh, organizer uh, for PowerCon, he uh, uh, had had bought a couple of adult beverages and we sat around and we told stories and, um, you know, Gary, uh, you know, participated and revealed some things that I had no idea because, you know, with all that was going on on set, I had no idea that Ken was going out of business, that the crew hadn't been paid, that, you know, he had to talk them into, you know, filming, you know, everybody was there and they hadn't been paid and they were all ready to walk off the set. And, you know, Gary said, no, we'll man it. We'll get, we'll, we'll get you paid by the end of the day. And somehow his line producer, uh, you know, made that happen. Um, uh, just all of the creativity, but all of the things it's, it's, it is hard to make a movie at the best of times. It's even harder when, but Gary, you know, uh, he kept all of that from us. None of us had any idea at all. Yeah, and, Chelsea uh, said the same thing yesterday. 
and it but the that like the final the final fight sequence um well <laughs> I, I have a couple little i won't say regrets but they were extra difficulties for example you know our first sequence where you know he-man and i fight um you know and sarad's there and uh, um and that little i've waited a long time for this you know which is one of my favorite lines i've waited a long time for this <laughs> Um, I kept, I, I got to train Dolph for about a month and then I didn't see him for almost a month, you know, and just basically, and it was because Dolph, again, um, tremendous athletic abilities, you know, he was a kickboxing champion, you know, it was all helpful, but we didn't have He-Man doing a whole lot of, uh, you know, kicks. Um, but I, so I gave him a good, you know, solid sword foundation in the time we had, and then he was busy filming and I didn't see him for about a month. And I kept saying to the coordinator, uh, Walter Scott, um, who's the coordinator on Second Night Lions again, too. I worked for him a bunch of times. Um, he's a tremendous coordinator in the business. But uh, anyway, I said, uh, Walter, when can I see the location? Because the location is always important. It's another character in the sequence, um, you know, so I can show you some ideas. And he said, ah, you know, well, you, we're, we're going to have plenty of time. You know, we're going to be down there for six weeks. You know, don't worry about it. You know, stop bugging me. <laughs> okay. Um, and because it was funny because I got to play the role. And then, um, you know, uh, Walter's right-hand man was a fellow named uh, Lauren James, who's a very famous stuntman. He, uh, oh, he doubled Steve McQueen, uh, you know, for years. And um, he was... Uh, you know, president of the Stuntman's Association and just you know, tremendous. I, w I worked with him on uh, MacGyver in uh, uh, one of my favorite roles, which is Pietro the Assassin, uh, which is, it was the end of the first season of the original MacGyver. But um, you know, Warren Lawrence said, hey, you know more about this stuff than I do. You train Dolph. So, uh, so I ended up training Dolph. And then, um, uh, so we got the training. I didn't see him for about a month. And Walter's going, ah, we're going to have lots of time, you know, like this when we get down. And you can see, you know, so we go down to um, uh, Wilmington, uh, which is about an hour's drive. And uh, we had six weeks of nights down there. And uh, I would sit in, which means I would hit rush hour traffic, both coming and going. So I'd sit in traffic for a couple hours, you know, trying to get back to Hollywood. And I would sit with an electric razor and shave my head and look at people. You know, and this was back before it was, you know, fashionable. It was back, be it was back before we even had Michael Jordan, you know, with his shaved head. But um, so anyway, I what do you think was the first thing we shot? The fight scene. I had I had about an hour, and I said to him, "Do you remember that? That remember when I taught you that sequence? You know, uh, a month ago." So we threw it together in an hour and we shot it. And I always kind of, I kind of wish we'd be able to do a little more um later but on you got plenty of time <laughs> and pretty much and then then i had six weeks of like well can we do any reshoots but yeah uh then at the end um walter said to me one day uh I, i'd like to have you double frank frank langella and um i went <laughs> yes sir sure so um you know you remember there's god skeletor mm -hmm. um well and i said okay so i've got there's the power staff and then there's buick slayer you know the he-man sword the power you know i've got the power yeah and uh i said so is he 
before or after his transformation? Oh, they said before. Great. So I choreographed some things where there was more movement of the staff, where you're able to, you know, you can come up and around and you can, you know, uh, you can generate more energy and it's more visual. Uh, and then <laughs> the day before we shot it, they um, they said, oh, no, no, this is after, you know, he's got Skeletor and he's going to have on a big headdress, right? And, um, you know, uh, so I get into Frank's wardrobe and Frank um, Frank has narrower feet than I do, so the, the boots don't fit. Uh, and then I, whenever I get, you know, have any boots that I'm going to work in, I make them put dance rubber on the bottom. So I've got a grip. Well, his, his didn't have that. It was leather. And then uh, because we're using a lot of smoke, it had an oil base to it. So the stairs are slippery. And basically, I can't see anything. If you were to take and put your two hands in front of you like mm -hmm. this, uh, I have no peripheral vision. And I can't see my feet either. So, <clears throat> so we're doing all this. And then, oh, and then they went, okay, and none of this. So the choreography was very quickly amended. And, uh, you know, we had that very brief encounter and then they were ready to pull the plug because they ran out of money and we didn't know that. And Gary managed to talk him into one more sequence where we have the little piece with, you know, the, the light that he got out of a bowling alley or something. I don't know. It's a color wheel, yeah. you know, color wheel. And, um, uh, and then, you know, the, the big lights behind. So, you know, he and Frank do that one, you know, little the collision point. of the swords, right. And then he and I, then uh, Dolph and I have a little sequence and uh, he disarms me. And then, you know, I pull out, uh, I pull out a sword, you know, the Skeletor sword, which we saw Uso briefly. And, you know, the He-Man sword goes towards the edge of the pit and boom. And then I end up going into the pit. Uh, so all of these things, um, I would love to have had more time to create, you know, um, a more dynamic uh, conversation. Remember, we were talking earlier about you know this being physical dialogue. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, I found out actually in an interview a while ago because I never got to talk to Frank about it. I never got to really work with Frank, uh, you know, in terms of any training that he had wanted to do. You know, a lot of action, and it just it didn't turn out that way because we had so much to do and no time to do it in. So, but I, you know, I'm very pleased to have been able to step in, you know, and uh, help complete the story and help Frank look good because he did uh, certainly did a terrific job in the performance. Absolutely. We talked that about that yesterday with Chelsea. But final question for you is, did you get to keep any cool props? But after that, could you mention the website again for people to check out the training and the different things we talked about early in this conversation? Yes, I can. Um, I did actually get to keep the, um, the blade swords, um, which were great. And I had them for, <laughs> I don't know, 20 years. Uh, I donated one to a charity for Highlander. Um, um, Adrian Paul has a, uh, uh, it's the peace foundation. He does a lot of really good charitable work. And, uh, we were doing, um, uh, I think it may have been my sword spectacular weekend. No, it wasn't because it was uh, Adrian wasn't at that. Anyway, I donated one to him, and it ended up, uh, I believe, with a collector in Germany. I found out later, and then um, the other one I parted with um, just over about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, to a collector who was really interested, and I kind of went, well, 
you know, um, he's going to give it a home and he's going to give it some respect. And I have a lot of sorts. <laughs> so I parted, uh, I parted with, with him. And then I believe he also, you know, bought the original and said, um, you know, is this, is this the sword, you know, uh, the Providence? I said, yeah. Um, apparently somebody had taken it and used it in another movie and, you know, kind of repainted it, done some weird stuff with it. But, you know, I looked at it and I went, yeah, that's, that's, that's the match to this. So, so that was, that was very cool to have them for a number of years. And, um, and then I'm also glad that it's been rehomed with, um, I believe he's a visual effects, um, um, designer and he happens to have a private collection of movie memorabilia that, uh, you know, so otherwise it sits up here and, you know, occasionally, uh, some of the people that come to train with me go, Oh, I love master of the universe. Well, you want to hold the sword. <laughs> yeah. So there was, there was that. Oh, um, my, my website. Yes. It's my name. D E L O N G I S.com. So www.delongis.com will take you to my website. And, uh, uh, and on there is, uh, there's a ranch link, Rancho Andalo, which talks a little bit about the training. Hopefully we'll get to update it soon. Um, cause we've done a lot with the, uh, with the place since then. But, um, and of course I'm all over the internet. Uh, you know, but yeah, if, uh, if you want to come and train with me, I love to share knowledge. Um, and whether you're a professional or an aspiring professional, or you know, you uh, just have always, we can we can train you to be Robin Hood or Zorro or He-Man or uh, you know, Blade the Double Swordsman or you know, uh, pre pretty much anything you want to do, both men and women. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's a fun adventure. You know, uh, we we. We like sharing our ranch with uh, people who would appreciate sort of things. And uh, I definitely might have to eventually talk with you about uh, any movie props uh, that might be available to make a deal with. Because uh, I've been, I'm a big collector of that kind of stuff. So right. I'm starting to get into that uh, damn house phone. Uh, all, all this is bullshit. Uh, yeah, Anthony. Yeah. Anthony. Thank, yeah. Thank you so much. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, 
Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from Wee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while Sincel Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. <laughs> Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Far thing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Hi, this is Chelsea Field, and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. 